Well, good morning, church. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Thankful for our worship team leading us so faithfully this morning uh, to set our hearts and our minds in motion as we go to God's Word. Uh, I do want to echo the, what has been said already. I feel like I am the safest person in this room right now uh, behind this mighty fortress here. Um, that being said, there's plenty of shaking going on with it, so I'm going to try to avoid a Jericho-sized uh, collapse here as much as possible. We are turning our attention back to the book of Joshua this morning, so if you would, open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. We've got two fine-looking men who are going to make their way to the back, and if you need a Bible this morning to follow along with us, just put your hand up, and they'll make sure that you get one so that you can follow along with us today. Uh, because today we are going to begin part two of our three-part series through this section of Joshua that spans from chapters 13 to 21, focusing on the theme of faithfulness, specifically God's faithfulness uh, displayed to his people. And we saw last week how that faithfulness uh, was put on display through his gracious provision, uh, how God was faithful to give the land to the people as he had promised for centuries, uh, how God provided uh, sources of uh, justice through the cities of refuge, and how really uh, we pointed to the fact that the ultimate provision of God is found uh, in himself. Um, and the fact that he gives himself so that we can delight in him. Uh, but today I want to see how God displays his faithfulness to his people in another way. And through another means. And that is through the faithful example of others. And as such our focus this morning is going to center around uh, two main characters in this story. Uh, a man by the name of Caleb. And the man for whom this great book is named after the man Joshua himself. So we got a lot to unpack together, so I'm going to encourage you to stand in honor of the public reading of God's Word, if you are able. And we're going to read from Joshua chapter 14 this morning, starting in verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jethunah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kedesh Barnea, concerning you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old, and I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is in my strength, as my strength was then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country for which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. And then Joshua blessed him and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jethunah, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jethunah, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he fully followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kiriath Arba, for Arba was the greatest of men among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. 
You may be seated and let's pray as we ask for God's blessing on our time now. Indeed, Father, we do want to ask now that you would be kind to us as we seek to unpack your word. I pray as we look at these uh, main central characters that we would not seek to idolize them, but that we would seek to see them uh, for what they really are. They are examples to us of men that you powerfully worked through to display your own faithfulness uh, so that we, Lord, might be stimulated to greater faithfulness in our own life. So pray for your kindness now on us. Allow me to be faithful to your word and uh, humble our hearts. Give us soft soil for it to fall upon so that we uh, may render to you the worship uh, that you are so worthy of today. So we ask this now in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, if we were honest this morning, uh, faithfulness is not exactly a characteristic that most of us probably hold or regard all that highly. Uh, you know, when we think about formulating that list of characteristics that maybe you would look for in a future spouse or who you should search for for maybe being another life group leader in the church or perhaps what to look for in the next teaching pastor at Newcastle Bible Church uh, the tendency in all of these things is often to prioritize certain skills or perhaps a certain type of personality. Uh, but most of the time, faithfulness slides pretty far down the wish list. And that is certainly a shame, especially when you consider that faithfulness is presented as one of the nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Uh, it is seen as a pillar of what spiritual maturity looks like. And it should surprise none of us that God often prioritizes the very things that we are often quick to overlook. You see, God is not as concerned with strength or skill or personality so much as he is concerned about character and obedience and stewardship to his good gifts. As such, faithfulness is a defining characteristic of a follower of God. And that's what I want us to see this morning as we look at how God displays His faithfulness through His faithful servants. God displays His faithfulness through His faithful servants. And when we look at the examples of men like Caleb and Joshua, we don't want to just necessarily stop at them and their faithfulness. Oh, we want to see the faithful God who empowers them to serve faithfully. God's faithfulness is seen in the fact that he preserved these two men as a remnant to lead the next generation of Israelites. God does not forsake his people by leaving them uh, people pleasers who are going to do whatever they want and cause the people to fail in taking the land. No, he gives his people faithful men who will exemplify what it looks like to humbly depend on him from start to finish. So let's look at these two servants this morning through two different lenses. Two different lenses of faithfulness. And we want to start with Caleb, where I think we see the blueprint for a faithful life. And Caleb, I think we see what modeled is faithfulness in the Christian life. And we saw this in the story that we just read a moment ago from chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. And I think the first thing we see with Caleb is we see a man who is devoted to God's ways. Three different times in verse 8, verse 9, verse 14, Caleb is described as a man who is wholly 
or fully devoted to God. In other words, Caleb was not easily influenced by the ways of the world or the pressures of men. No, he lived according to God's standards. And I think that's most clearly seen in verses 7 and 8 where he is recapping uh, the Israelites' journey in Numbers 13 and 14 where he and Joshua were the two faithful spies who gave a good report about the land and said we should take it nearly 40 years earlier. And yet he and Joshua stood in the minority, weren't they? It was 10 against 2. Uh, We see here that he told the people what was in his heart while the rest of the men told a report that caused the hearts of the people to melt. You see the real difference there between a heart of integrity and a heart that fears the pressures of men. You see, Caleb and Joshua made the hard decision even when they stuck out, even when they were in the far minority they could have easily gone with what the others were saying and what the others were doing. It would have been a lot less, it would have been a lot easier in some ways, right? But they believed that devotion to God was far better than to betray what they knew to be true about God and what God had commanded them to do. Not only that, but they trusted what all the other people didn't. And that was the fact that God himself had told them they would inherit this land. And they believed that God was able because God was with them. And we saw the outcome of what happened when the people rebelled against this. And they chose not to follow that instruction and were punished for 40 years in the wilderness. You see, faithfulness makes the choice to stay devoted to God's ways even when very few choose to do so. But it wasn't just that Caleb was devoted to God's ways. He was also grounded in God's word. Uh, The nature of these verses here is that Caleb is asking, he is Uh, coming boldly uh, saying that it is time for him to receive the land that was promised to him because of his faithfulness 40 years earlier. And Caleb comes back to the grounds of his request three different times. In verse 6, verse 10, verse 12, and each time the grounds of his request is God's promises. What God spoke, God's word to him. Caleb is not asking for something selfishly, but he is basing it on the very promises that had been given to him by the mouth of the living God. As Dale Ralph Davis says, he says, true faith always functions that way. It pleads God's promises. It anchors itself upon the word of God. There can be no other foundation for faith. You understand that, right? Faith is founded upon our belief, and our trust in what God has said. Leon Morris puts it another way. He says, it is not so much great faith in God that is required as is faith in a great God. Faith is only as strong as the object for which you place it in. And that is something that Caleb had learned in the past, which has carried him through to the future In other words, this is nothing new for Caleb. His actions don't change over time. He is faithful uh, 40 years later because he saw God being faithful all the way back then. But the truth is he is able to be just as faithful now because he knows that his faith is grounded in something that also does not change. His faith is grounded in the word of God that stays the same. It is a, a bedrock. It is a sure foundation that never shifts, never changes with the course of time in human history. And so Caleb is able to anchor himself to the grounds of his faith, which is the word of God itself. 
But then finally we see in Caleb someone who is strengthened for God's work. Not just devoted to God's word, not just uh, grounded in God's word, but is strengthened to do God's work. We saw this in Caleb's attitude uh, as he requests this land. You notice what he says here? He says he's as good as he has ever been. Uh, He says that he is now 85 years old and he is just as strong, if not stronger today, than he was back then. You know, what we see in Caleb, he reminds us in many ways of the, uh, be careful I say this here, he reminds us in many ways of the old guy at the gym. You know what I'm talking about, right? You're on your elliptical machine there, you're binge watching your favorite, you know, jury show, whatever it is, and you look over, you see the old guy who walks in, and you think to yourself, oh, that's kind of cute, like, guy's going to come and he's going to do something to keep himself relatively healthy in his old age, and you go back to watching your screen, and eventually you glance over and you see him just repping out, you know, push-ups on the ground, you're like, wow, okay, that's impressive, and you go back to your show, and a few minutes later, you glance over, and suddenly what these two-arm push-ups are are now one-arm push-ups. And you start to question everything about your life. And a few minutes, <laughs> a few minutes later, you look over and this one-arm push-up is now a one-arm pull-up. And you just throw everything out the window at that point. You're just like, okay, this guy, he gets it, right? This is Caleb's way of saying, I still got it. I still got it. He is just as passionate and vibrant for the Lord as he was 45 years earlier. And it's seen in the nature of his request for the land. Notice what he says. When he requests this land, he is not requesting an easy task. He's saying, give me this hill country, this land where the Anakim, as we learned last week, those giants still dwell. He's saying, I want that land. I want the best land, and I want it to be taken. And I'm going to do it. I can do it. He doesn't want the easy route. He doesn't say, you know what? I've really put in my time these last several decades. You know, just give me the easiest. Let me retreat somewhere. Let me just retire and we'll call it a day. No. No, he doesn't waver one bit. Verse 12, he says, he knows that the Lord will be with him to do this task to drive them out. Caleb believed firmly in what we've said at the end of every service in this series that the Lord his God would be with him in whatever he did. Caleb's strength was only as good as the God who was with him. The only way that he could take down these giants in Hebron was if God was with him and we learn in chapter 15 the Lord was with him and he did indeed drive these giants out of the land. You see we see in Caleb that faithfulness stays strong to the Lord to the very end. And that's important when we contrast that with what we see of the Ephraimites, which we'll look at next week in chapter 17, where they have a similar situation, but they're wavering. They're uncertain. Their faith is not as sure. But for Caleb, he says, I am as good as I have ever been, and I am taking this land. His old age and the ways that he has seen God be faithful to him has only strengthened him with time. And we want to transition at this point from Caleb to Joshua. And I think what we see with Joshua, rather than this blueprint of a faithful life, is actually the blessings of a faithful life. And there's no doubt we could look back on Joshua and we could pull out all the ways that uh, that 
Joshua has been faithful to the Lord, but I want to look at how Joshua also exemplifies to us the blessings that come from faithfulness. And that begins by thinking about how he was entrusted by God. How he was entrusted by God. We could push the rewind button and we could go back and we would see Joshua's legacy of faithfulness throughout Scripture. All the way back in the book of Exodus, in Exodus 17, we see him leading the military campaign of the Israelites in the wilderness. We already spoke of Numbers 13 and 14 where he is faithful alongside Caleb to give a good report of the promised land. Joshua's faithfulness in little led to him being entrusted with much, which namely turns out to be the leadership of the entire nation in Joshua chapter 1. Throughout the book, God is working to help establish Joshua's leadership among the people. Chapter 3, verse 7, he tells Joshua, I am going to exalt you today in the midst of the people so that they will see that just as I was with Moses, so I also am with you. We see in Joshua the clear principle of God entrusting people with greater stewardship as faithfulness is proven over time. We all operate this way. We understand this. Parents, you understand this with your children, right? What do you tell them as it relates to responsibility? As they display their ability to be responsible over time and little, they're given more. They may be given certain privileges, certain freedoms, or maybe even more responsibilities. And that's not a cursing upon them so much as it is a blessing because they have proven themselves faithful and responsible and little so that they can be entrusted with more. So it is in the Christian life and what it looks like to follow God that God gives to us more responsibility over time as an example of our faithfulness in little. But we see also with Joshua uh, what it looks like to be rewarded by God. We saw Caleb's example in chapter 14. Now we turn to Joshua's in chapter 19, which kind of bookend this section in many ways of the book of Joshua. And here we see Joshua, like Caleb, though with less detail, receiving the promised inheritance of his own land in chapter 19, verses 49 to 50. When they had finished distributing the several territories of the land as inheritances, the people of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. By command of the Lord, they gave him the city that he asked, Timnath-serah, in the hill country of Ephraim, and he rebuilt the city and settled in it. Notice here he receives, Joshua receives his promised inheritance, but who does it come from? Verse 49, you would be tempted to say, well, the people gave it to him as he requested. But notice verse 50. Who does it really come from? Verse 50, by command of the Lord, they gave it to him. Here we see once again God staying true to his word and giving Joshua his promised inheritance. Very little detail is given about it, but we see the sweetness here of a job well done. It is the reward for completing the task that God had set him apart for several years earlier. It is the reward, we could say, of a faithful life, receiving what God had promised to him all these years. And like Caleb, Joshua doesn't waste his old age. He, he chooses the land that he rebuilds the city, right? He's still doing work even in his old age. And verse 51 kind of concludes this section, and we'd be tempted to think that this is the end for him. After all, it says in the end of verse 51, so they finished dividing the land. And it 
puts a nice bow on this in some ways, but that's not the end for Joshua. Uh, We aren't quite finished with him. And I want to push the fast-forward button. We already pushed the rewind button on Joshua's life. I want to push the fast-forward button a little bit. I'm afraid in a few weeks I won't be able to give this the time and attention that it's due, but turn over to Joshua 24 with me. This goes outside of our section for this morning, but I think it's worth it. As you go over to chapter 24 and you look at verses 29 to 30, I'm going to give you a little bit of a spoiler alert. Uh, Joshua dies eventually. Uh, In case you were wondering, he does die. It says in verse 29, After these things Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountains of Gaash. It does seem a little strange that we would jump to the end of a story and catapult in on a funeral service here. Why are we crashing a funeral at the end of this account? What does God want us to see here? Well, I want you to see something that's really interesting, and it's subtle, and if you read too quickly past it, you will miss it. But I want to remind you, one of the characters that is constantly coming up in the book of Joshua is Moses. Moses has died already. He's no longer in the picture, and yet his presence still looms large. And every time Moses is mentioned, or most of the time that he is mentioned at least, 14 different occasions he is referred to as Moses, the servant of the Lord. Now consider the way Joshua is addressed throughout the book. We encounter Joshua several times, and Joshua is always known as Joshua, the son of Nun. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 1, he is known as Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, right? But always referred to in this very simple, humble way. And now we get to the final verses of this book. And we look at the tombstone and the epitaph that's written about Joshua. And what does it read? After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord. I believe there's such a thing in Scripture as proud dad moments. If you're a parent, you know those when your child does something really good that you're just excited about for them. I believe that we, as students of the Bible, can have those emotions too when you invest deeply in a character and a story and you see that. That's how I feel when I look at the story of Joshua and I see how his life ends because Joshua for so long is just known simply as, as a, the son of none. But once he crosses that finish line, once he enters into the eternal way of glory, the Lord describes on him the title the servant of the Lord, that well-done, good, and faithful servant. It is only by reaching the end and crossing the finish line after a lifetime of faithful service that Joshua is finally bestowed with the honor of being called by God a servant of the Lord. God often uses funerals like that, doesn't he? The faithful life of a dear saint in the Lord that spurs us on to greater faithfulness as well. I believe that's what we see here with Joshua, a man who was committed to the Lord all his life and the blessings of being bestowed with the honor of the good and faithful servants. 
and what that must have done to empower God's people, what that does to us to empower us as God's people to remain faithful to the very end. So we see here just two amazing examples between Caleb and Joshua. And the question is, what do we, what do we want to learn from this morning? I want to give you five takeaways here for us as we close. The first of which is this. Standing with God often means standing alone. Uh, we see Caleb talking about this in his encounter in Numbers 13 and 14. We could say this another way, that devoted faith is often a lonely faith. He and Joshua really stood alone in the far minority when everybody else was willing to rebel. For them, faithfulness to God was far more important than their reputation. It was more important to them than their very lives. They were willing to swim against the current even if it meant they would be isolated and persecuted for it, and they were. And that speaks directly to us in an age where Christians are increasingly finding themselves in the minority, are we not? Where holding to our Christian convictions draws a lot more attention. To stand alone in the classroom as a student, to stand alone in your job when all other morals are going out the window, to stand alone perhaps even in your own household if you're the only believer in your family. It proves costly, and there's a lot of temptations to want to just do the comfortable thing. So how do we withstand that? How do we find ourselves able to stand? Well, the answer for Caleb and Joshua is the same as it was for Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul himself talks about how he himself experienced the desertion of people around him, people who had abandoned him, who did not stand strong. But you know who did stand strong? The Lord God. He says in verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. How do you stand strong for the Lord even when others are not doing so? You believe in what we've talked about throughout this series. that We do not have to be frightened. We do not have to be dismayed for it is the Lord our God who is with us wherever we go and whatever we do. I think about the song that we've sung before that many of you know, I have decided to follow Jesus where there's the one verse that says, though none go with me, still I will what? Follow. Even if none go with me, still I will follow. Secondly, this morning, faithfulness to God shows a spiritual maturity that is needed for others. Just quickly understanding that faithfulness is a sign of maturity that every single Christian needs 2 Timothy 2.2, we are reminded that uh, the gospel is to be entrusted to not just any men, not just men with charismatic personalities, but to faithful men. The church needs faithful women to mentor and to bring up the next generation. These verses are not just about faithfulness in the individual, but about how their faithfulness ultimately serves the people of God. It empowers others. It strengthens others. The faithfulness of a few can have a profound impact on the many. And that is why God preserved Caleb and Joshua among this second generation so that the people would have examples of who to follow and to model that faithfulness for them. Their faithfulness was used to motivate and spur others along, which is important for our third point this morning, that God's faithfulness should motivate his people to finish strong. I want to camp out here for a moment. 
I think this is a really important one for us. But notice how God's faithfulness to Israel empowered Caleb in his old age. Caleb says he is stronger than he has ever been before. And I think this is a call for God's people to run hard and not coast across the finish line. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8, Paul reminds uh, his protege Timothy as he ends the near of his, end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Notice here, he's talking about finishing well. He's saying, I have not stumbled. I have not eased up. I've gone hard all the way through the finish line tape. And so I want to use this as just a moment to exhort the older generation in our church. And I don't want to get myself in trouble, so I'm not going to identify what that is. But my guess is as I say that, the Lord will convict you and know if that's you or not. I want to exhort the older generation in our church that we need you. I, as your pastor, need you. I need to see your faithfulness. We, as a church, need to see your faithfulness. We need you to set the tone for the next generation. You are setting the tone for the younger generations in this church for how you will use the later years of your life intentionally and faithfully. And I personally want to say thank you to a number of you who have displayed that for many years to me and to us. But again, we need more people who are understanding the importance of using this season of life well, especially in a culture that idolizes retirement and comfort and ease and leisure. After all, you've worked so hard, now ease up. You've worked really hard, now you deserve it. You've earned it. And you know what? None of those are the types of words we see coming out of Caleb's mouth. In fact, do you notice what Caleb is advocating for here? He says, give me the hardest job. There's giants that still need to be taken. I want that land. Give it to me. I'll take it. I want to go hard. I want to finish well. Caleb doesn't want to waste what he considers to be the prime years of his life. When most of us would say, whoa, Caleb, listen, dude, you've, you've done really well for several decades now. You, you can take it easy. So you, older generation, help set the tone for us. Show us what that looks like to invest well. And for those of you who are in the younger generation right now, proactively plan for what that looks like as the Lord allows greater freedoms with new stages of life. Your kids are about to be out of the household. Man, that's opening a new door of freedom and flexibility. You're about to retire from your job. Man, you're going to be recommissioned to new and exciting opportunities that the Lord can use with your time and your resources. Do that. We, we need people to be thinking that way now so that it doesn't catch us off guard when it comes. All of this is a reminder to us, fourthly, that faithfulness is a lifelong journey. We've talked about it already, but notice how the servant title for Joshua wasn't bestowed until the very end of his life. It reminds us of Jesus telling the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 
It's not until these men and what they did with their resources and they reach the end of their life, it's not even until then that they finally hear that well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your master. That title is earned after a lifetime of working for the Lord. Not working to earn the Lord's favor, but working in response to the Lord and his goodness to you. So take the long view of faithfulness, but I would also encourage you as you do so, live it out day by day because God gives you enough grace day by day to live faithfully. Each day you are presented with opportunities to be faithful for the Lord in how you use your time. Use it faithfully. Each day you're presented with opportunities to be faithful to the Lord in your relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends. Be faithful in that. You're given opportunities to be faithful in the resources that the Lord has given to you. Be faithful day by day, year by year. And you will one day hear that well done, good, and faithful servant language. But lest we make the mistake of thinking this morning that this message sounds like it's all about us, I want to end with this. A reminder that any honor that we receive from God for our faithfulness is going to be redirected back to God. In case the point has already been made clear, faithfulness is not accomplished for your personal gain. Faithfulness always keeps in mind the big picture, and that is the one for whom we serve. It keeps in mind the mentality of Luke 17.10, where Jesus talks about another parable, and he talks about the servants. He says, you know what? The servant, at the end of his life, says, I'm simply an unworthy servant. I was doing what was expected of someone who would serve his glorious master. Church, I want to remind you, I want to remind myself that none of us are impressive. None of us are impressive in our own strength. The only ability that we have to be faithful is because of God's work that he's doing in and through us. It's because of the grace that God supplies through his word and by his spirit. And so all glory that is given to us must be returned to the one for whom it is due. In fact, we quoted earlier from 2 Timothy 4, 8, where it talks about how every single one of us, because of the faithful life, will receive what we call the crown of righteousness. That sounds awesome. But I love in Scripture that we're given a more comprehensive picture. If you were to turn your attention to Revelation chapter 4 and you see the 24 elders who sit around the throne of God in heaven worshiping, you know what you see them doing in Revelation 4 with the crowns that they have received because of the honor bestowed on them at the end of time? You know what they're doing with those crowns? They're taking them off their own head and they're casting them. And they're casting them at the feet of the throne of God because they're not worthy. Anything that they were considered worthy for in this life was because of the one who made them worthy. That is the picture right there of worship. That is the picture right there of what faithfulness is all about. Church, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Faithfulness clearly says at the end of time, not to us, O Lord, not to us, 
but to your name be all the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. As we close, we just thank you for being a faithful God. We thank you for the examples of faithful men and women that you have given to us. And Lord, we pray that you, by your spirit and through your word, would cause us to be a faithful people, to set the tone for the next generation, to see that there is no higher privilege, there is no higher honor in this life than to be a servant of the Lord. But we need you to help us. We are weak, we are insignificant, we are unable apart from you. And so we pray today that you would strengthen the hearts of your people, even as we've seen this morning through baptisms, the way that you work in vessels like us to proclaim your glory to the world. We pray that you would do so, that you would receive the glory, the honor, and the praise that is rightfully due to your name. Would you do that today through your people, we ask. Amen.